Welcome everyone to LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me is always the wonderful Derek Brissett. Derek, how are you today? Uh, not too bad, man. Yourself? I'm good, and uh, we've got a few things to talk about tonight. Uh, we have the last Pacific Nations Cup game that Canada took part in against Tonga to talk about. Mm-hmm. We have a little mini preview that we're going to talk about with their upcoming game against Leinster uh, next week in Hamilton. And also, we've got a few pieces of rugby news involving uh, some Canadian content that we wanted to talk about as well. Uh, but the first thing we're going to talk about is the Canadian uh, game against Tonga. So Canada lost, unfortunately, 33-23 to to Tonga. Uh, what did you think about, Derek, and the first thing that we want and need to talk about is uh, their set piece. Uh, we talked about how Canada improved their scrum uh, off off camera, uh, and we also talked about how the lineout took a step back from their game against uh, Fiji in in a, in a way because both games had different varying degrees of issues. So, what did you think about the set piece that uh, Canada put out there? Yeah, I think I think uh, you said it pretty well there. Uh, the scrum definitely looked improved. Um, the scrums looked a lot more even against the Tongans. Um, Canada was able to earn some penalties uh, as a result of the of, of their scrum, um, which is always great to see. Um, so yeah, like the scrum definitely took a step forward um, this week, um, as well as they had a lot of a lot of elements of their game that like that were um, took a step forward. Uh, this was probably the best overall game of the tournament. Um, with they, you know, I know uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about their overall play and everything. Um, as we move on, especially with the backs, uh, their ball movement was a lot better um, against Tonga, especially in that second half. Um, back to your original question with the set piece, though. Um, Scrum definitely looked improved. Um, the lineout was um, was interesting. Um, I think when Eric Howard was in for the first 20 minutes of the game, um, it looked pretty good. Um, they had uh, They had a lot of creativity a little bit in their lineouts. There was that one really nice play um, where Ardron kind of created a bit of a line break there, got the ball to DTH. Um, DTH then tried to go back inside to Lucas Rumball, but unfortunately in that process, um, there was a knock-on. Um, but like it was it was a play that we hadn't seen Canada do yet at the Pacific Nations Cup, and it almost it almost led to a try. Um, you know, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, it's just one of those things where the next time you do that, uh, just make sure you hold onto the ball. Um, but uh, unfortunately, Eric Howard did go down with an injury. And I don't really know if um, the lineup necessarily as a whole took a step backwards. But I think over overall, over the last three games, the Pacific Nations Cup, to me, it seems like the Canadian depth chart at Hooker is Eric Howard, Andrew Quatrain, Benoit Piffero. Um, and, you know, Piffero uh, kind of struggled with, especially uh, with the throws um, in the lineup today. Um, you know, there was uh, obviously kind of, uh, you know, the, after he came on, it's like Canada suddenly had seemed to go back to having issues making, uh, you know, connecting on the throws um, within the lineouts. Um, obviously, in the 32nd minute, Tonga scored a try. Um, as the direct result of uh, a Piffero overthrowing the lineout, um, the Tongan scrum half was the first guy there, picked it up. Tonga ran up the field a couple offloads and a phase or two later, and they had a try. Um, 
So, you know, that was a try. That's that was seven points uh, put on the board. Um, essentially, I believe, yeah, seven points. Yeah, he made the conversion after that. Um, so yeah, seven points put on the board basically directly as a result of a of a knock on. Of sorry, not of a knock on, but like of an overthrown lineout. And um, that like that, that's you know it's one of those things where it's like you know if like you can't make those mistakes, um, especially at the World Cup. Like they gotta play, they gotta play the All Blacks and the Springboks. Um, you know, so you, you can't be overthrowing lineouts against you know, against those teams. Cause they're, like, they're going to make you hurt more than Tonga does. And Tonga scored a try within two minutes of you doing that. Um, so like the all blacks in the spring box, as much as tough as it is to be the, like, you know, to be comparing Canada to those two teams, at the end of the day, that's who they got to play at the world cup. And, you know, like if they play like this against them, like they're, you know, there's going to be a lot of points being put up on the board. Um, but ultimately, I think, I mean, I think with Quatrin and Howard um, throwing, um, the lineout did look better. Um, and I think the the biggest issue, I think, with um, the, the Canadian lineout hasn't so much been um, the actual lineout itself. It's what happens immediately after the lineout. Um, we talked about it at length in the, uh, when, um, with Fiji, um, with the Fijian game, and they were... You know, there was that moment of the game where Canada tried this, just the driving ball um, five times in a row to the exact same result of just Fiji just stopping it. Um, in this game, um, Canada kind of tried or tried the same thing again uh, just before Jeff Hassler's try. They ha- did have two previous attempts at the lineup where they went to the same play. Tonga just wasn't doing as good of a job defending as Fiji did. Um, and ended up taking some penalties in those to give Canada a third chance at it. And on the third chance, they kind of stuffed it again. But Mac was, you know, just basically, well, enough of this. And gave the ball to Jeff Hassler, who made no mistake on the finish. Um, so that was an improvement. Uh, but the, and another, but, you know, it's Canada is struggling with, you know, getting that mall to be moving forward right after the lineout. Um, and they also, there was also a play, um, uh, in, uh, there was also a play in the second half where Piffro and Mac hooked up on like a really short ball line out, which, you know, was actually, was, which was actually a pretty well-designed play for the most part. Um, it caught the Fijians off guard. The first, the Fijian, um, the Fijian props were facing the wrong way. Nobody, or sorry, the Tongan props, excuse me, the Tongan props were facing the wrong way. Um, nobody really um, seemed to uh, pick up the fact that Mac was actually standing in the lineout, and he uh, and you know Piffero put the ball into Mac. Mac put, popped it right back out to Piffero, and Piffero took off. And the only issue with this play was, um, and I took a screenshot of it as when I watched the game just before recording our podcast here. Um, when Piffero takes off, he gets hit eventually because, of course, he's going to get hit. He's the hooker running down uh, running down the sidelines after a lineout. And he makes up some pretty good ground, but he eventually gets hit. And when he gets hit, if you take a screenshot of that moment where he gets tackled, there's four Tongans on the screen. So four red jerseys, and there's one black jersey, which, as an aside, the black jerseys are filthy, and Canada needs to wear them more. But 
Um, <laughs> but, other, but I would really like the black jerseys look amazing. And I would really have just liked to see a few black jerseys in support of Piffero at that moment. Um, because there, he's the only guy in a black jersey on the screen. Um, there wasn't a single other Canadian even around him. To to Piffero's credit, he did try to keep the ball alive there. Um, he, he tried an offload; it just it didn't work. Um, but you know, like good on him for attempting to keep the ball alive and kind of seeing that you know he he was by himself. He he took off, and nobody, none of the other forwards went with him. There was no. Um, there was no support for him. He ran into uh, he just ran into the Tongan defense. There was four Tongans there. Um, they got over. They would have like he he tried he tried to offload it, but the, again there was just there was nobody there to offload it to. Like they were right. like the, the support was it wasn't even that the support was too far behind to you know to to um, to ruck and defend and defend the ball at the breakdown. It was the the support was too far behind to offload to. Um, right. And it was like, it was a difficult play for him and, you know, it didn't work out. Um, but I think like, that's really what Canada needs to be working on more is, you know, uh, like you have guys in, you have guys in the lineup, like Tyler Ardron, um, Evan Olmstead, uh, Luke Campbell, uh, Kyle Bailey, like these guys are more than capable of catching the ball and bringing it down. Um, and you know, if, as long as you're able to get the throws to them, they can connect on that. But I think Canada's got to work on, you know, the, the set pieces more than just the immediate, the immediate line out. It's also what you do on like the first or second phase right after the line out. And that's where I kind of think Canada really needs to work on, especially with plays like, you know, the mall not going anywhere or Piffero, um, not having support. Cause honestly, I would like to see Canada use that play again. Um, because like I said, the Tongan, the Tongans were facing the wrong way on that play. Like, and it was just, if somebody was there like that, that was like a 15, 20 meter gain immediately, um, just off yeah. of that line out. So, um, that's more or less where I would like to see those improvements made, um, as opposed to, and obviously, you know, if just connect on your throws, if you're the hooker, don't, don't overthrow the line out. That's all I'm asking for. You sound like my high school coach um well any yeah. rugby coach should be telling his hooker to not overthrow the line out like ideally you want to have your guy catch the ball in the line out so if you're yeah. a high school rugby coach or you're coaching team canada you want the line out to be effective um so yeah if i if i'm team canada's coach i hope i shouldn't have to say that but uh i i do agree with you on a lot of things you said especially about uh that, that at a certain point, and I think the point that really uh, made a turn for the expanse of rugby for me was when uh, Patrick Parfait came onto the field. Oh, uh, yeah, like he, was, he was unreal. He, he had a really, really strong game. Uh, and I also agree with you about the black jerseys. I think that uh, they need to be adamant that they come to the World Cup, and when they play the All Blacks, I think they need to have the balls to say, hey, we're wearing our black jerseys today. They might uh, uh, I mean, by 100 nothing. But we're wearing the black yeah. tonight, guys. It's 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 uh, that 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 might be that might be a tough one to pull off. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, you uh, yeah, that might be a tough one to pull off against the All Blacks. But I mean, I, I like I would be I'd be pretty happy if Canada went to the World Cup with a red and a black jersey. Um, like that's uh, like I think I'd be pretty happy with that. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the white kit to begin with. Um, the the red kit looks the solid red kit I think looks pretty good and. 
you know, even like when they came out, um, when they came out for the anthems, just in the black with like the little like the red accents and stuff on it, like yeah, it, it looked really sharp. So yeah, sure. I would, I would definitely like to see them stick with it. And honestly, it was their best game of the tournament. So, you know, yeah, uh, and, and it's funny. I, I had that as a maybe I had that something as, in that. I had that as a question for us, and I kind of deleted it because I'm like, you know what? There really isn't a question. This really was Canada's best game. Um, but one thing that I had an issue with and, and feel to agree or disagree with me is that I felt like the connection between fly half and scrum half, there was a bit of miscommunication and it caused issues with uh, uh, the rugby for Canada being expansive. You know, it wasn't until, like I mentioned, that they, they subbed off Mac and changed people around. McRory went to nine and then I believe Nelson went to 10 and then Parfait went to 15. Uh, yep. that that the, the the ball really got expansive and you know you can see that the the time stamps of of the tries that were scored and then you see who scored them you know uh that you know Hassler's second try parfait scored and and dth uh his try were all after uh mac came off um what do you think about that derek is it a personnel thing that that just the connection between Gordon McRory and Mac isn't great for expansive rugby. They tend to be more, we want to crash and wave the ball and kick the ball away for uh, possession. Or is it just a team thing where they're, they're having a hard time taking the risks to have expansive rugby in the first half of the game and they want to try to keep it as defensively close as possible? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think definitely, you definitely saw like a mindset change in the 61st minute when well, Parfrey came on the pitch um and it was like it was immediate too um like the first uh we talked about it uh I can't remember if it was after the U.S. game or after the Fijian game it was probably after both games but it's like Canada hasn't really been using advantage um all that effectively it's been a lot of plays where they've just you know kicked the ball away or you know just kick for the field position that they would have got anyways and the first play that happens, the, or the, essentially the first play that happens within a minute of uh, um, Mack getting subbed off, Parfrey coming on, Nelson goes to 10, McCrory goes to 9, um, is they get awarded an advantage. And McCrory just pounds, um, passes it back to Nelson, who drops a cross-field kick to the corner, which is, like, I can't even remember the last time I saw Canada use that play. Um, and, you know, and... Obviously, it was intended for Hassler. Um, Hassler and uh, the Tongan defender both missed it. Um, but, you know, Parfrey was the one that ended up being there to scoop the ball. And it was like, there was an actual, like, full-on, like, attacking mindset play, which is something that Canada hasn't been really necessarily doing a whole lot of. Um, you know, like, it, it felt like if there was a similar situation in the USA game, um, you know, that would have been, you know, the scrum half trying to grubber kick it to the sidelines. Um, where it, um, So uh, I think, I don't know, I think a big part of what um, happened in the final 20 minutes um, was honestly, I think it was Patrick Parfrey. Um, that, that guy played absolutely out of his mind. Um, that's the best 20 minutes I've ever seen him play. Um, and, or 19 minutes, I guess, officially. Um, but you know, he, he was involved in every single try Canada scored in the second half. 
Um, he obviously he scored um, that first try on the play we were just talking about with the cross-field kick from Nelson. Um, he was right there when um, the ball when the ball was stolen. He was the one that scooped it up, ran, draw, drew defenders in, popped it off to DTH, who coasted in for a try. He was also there after uh, there was the line break. He was able to carry that on and get eventually get the ball to Hassler, who again just you know was able to outlast that defender and get in for a try. Um, so he, uh, yeah, Par- Parfrey uh, really, um, really made sure he was in contention for, you know, the squad in the uh, the first World Cup game here, because um, that, yeah, like the game completely changed when he came on the field, and I don't necessarily know if that's you know, um, if that's really McCrory moving to scrum half instead of having Mac there. Um, but, or if that would have happened anyways, but like that, I think a lot of what changed, especially for the backs was Patrick Parfrey being able to facilitate the ball, um, in a way that, in a way that, you know, throughout the game, uh, Peter Nelson wasn't really doing at fullback or, um, so I think, you know, that, that changed and like Canada's attack looked completely different, um, once the ball got into Parfrey's hands in the final, uh, 19 minutes of the game yeah and i i felt that nelson uh had a strong presence at t- as t- at 10 as well i think one of my problems of uh with having rory at 10 is he's stationary he's a stationary 10 he gets the ball and it's almost immediately out of his hands you know it's almost like the defense knows he's not going to be a running threat um yeah. and i feel like with o'leary and with uh with um uh, Nelson, that's not always necessarily the, the case. You know, mm-hmm. both of them have a stronger kicking game than McRory. You know, they're a little bit bigger, so they're willing to, you know, run into contact uh, a little bit more than than he is. And uh, you saw that a little bit with with Nelson, and in, in, in once that uh, that change in positions happens, he also opened up the field a little bit more. And I think that's something that wasn't happening in the in the U.S. game. Uh, mm-hmm. You saw Nelson freeze up a few times. Uh, due to a, a strong uh, defensive wave from the, the Americans, from the Eagles. So I think that is also something that, that had had to do with it. But I really, really thought that Parfrey had a really strong game. And it kind of goes into our, our next question. And this is something that really frustrated me. And uh, you, you agreed with me about it. And it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction, but I still feel like we need to talk about it. Uh, Canada's centers were offensively invisible for large parts of the game. I'm not saying the entire game, but there were just moments where they were not even considered a part of the offense. Um, Kieran Hearn had a couple of plays that frustrated me around the 40th minute. You know, they were in or near the 20, uh, you know, the 22 of Tonga, you know, and he just grubbers kicks it away. He takes possession away from Canada and gives it to, and the fullback easily got it because no one really was ready for it, and they didn't have advantage. So it's not like everyone knew that they were going after the ball, and then the fullback just kicked away, and Canada restart all over again their their offense. And you know it's been frustrating uh, to see that happen, and it's been happening in a few games with Heron. He's been very uh, willing to use the boot to to gain possession while not really getting any possession out of it. So what needs to change here? You know, is it, is it, is it a 
systematic thing that, that Canada's been having because at the 13 jersey, it's been Blevins and it's also been Lesage. So they've been kind of alternating that spot. Does it mean, does Patrick Parfrey maybe need to come into that position? You know, he's played the 12 and the 13 jersey for Canada. He's played that for the Arrows. You know, he, he's, he's a versatile, you know, uh, fixture. Does he need to come in? Or is it just systematically they need to say, Kieran, hold on to the ball, go into contact, trust that your team's going to, you know, keep possession? Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I feel like the the two uh, center positions, um, ha- yeah, I agree with you. They haven't been overly impressive over the course of the Pacific Nations Cup. Um, you know, there, Canada does have three more games before the World Cup. Um, uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier. We're going to touch on it later in the podcast. They got to play Leinster uh, next week, and then they also got to play the you know BC All Stars, and then they got another match with the Eagles. Um, and I mean, kind of looking at it, uh, in the centers, like, I don't know, none of them have really, none of them have impressed me, um, over, like that much through this tournament. Um, here in Lesage, Blevins, it's just like they've not, nothing, they've really done nothing to yeah. really get me excited about them. Blevins uh, impressed the me off squad. the bench. Yeah. Blevins says, like, he, he had a strong play. Uh, on, on one of the tries in this game where he kind of uh, offloaded it off to Parfait and Parfait got it off to Hassler for Hassler's second try. Yeah, but, he, had a, he had a nice uh, defensive play on uh, Lloyd's try earlier in the tournament too. But, you um, know, other than that... It, I'm, not, I'm not saying they played... I'm not necessarily trying to say they played like, they played, like horrible or anything. Yeah. It's just like they've... I think you said like the the word I kind of used when we were talking it was like invisible, where it was just like you don't like it's like yeah like you like you didn't necessarily do anything that was like a glaring error, but you didn't also never you didn't really do much that was glaringly positive either. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's 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 players that that there's that you know rugby guys that that were that weren't picked for this for this lineup and for the Pacific Nations. And maybe it was a cost-cutting effect to not have them all travel to Fiji and have them all compete at the same time. And maybe they're saving some of them once we are on Canadian soil. You know, George well, they only Brock- got the 31-man roster for the PNC. Yeah. So, yeah, so- you know, they had, they had the 44 guys in camp, but you can only take the yeah. 31-man roster to the PNC. So some guys got to get cut. Yeah. Um, but so, so maybe maybe they're keeping some of those guys to try out for this Leinster game and for the other games out west. Yeah, like you know, that, Dan, that's, Dan that's Moore, I mean. George Barton. Yeah, that's what I, I think. Uh, I think like I think that's something that maybe should be looked at. Um, I think the uh, most the two most notable centers that um, weren't part of the thirty-one man squad um, for the for the Pacific Nations Cup were uh, Dan Moore and George Barton. Um, and like, I, I don't know if, um, the centers that would have been playing for Canada at the Pacific Nations Cup have done enough to not warrant giving them a shot in one, two, or maybe even all three of the remaining games before the World Cup. Um, Dan, Dan Moore had a, had a great season with the Toronto Arrows. Um, you know, he played a lot of wing, but he also played a lot of center. Um, he kind of split them both evenly um he proved that he can like you know he proved that he can definitely wear that 13 jersey um and be incredibly effective with it 
Um, so I think, you know, I think it, I think it'd be worth giving them a shot just because, and like you said, for, for no other reason than, um, you know, the centers that we've, that have been playing, haven't been like blowing our minds in any way. Um, but you know, uh, also, yeah, George Barton, like just, you know, he's a big, strong, powerful running, running center. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, just give him, give him, give him the ball against the lines there, see what happens. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, so I, I, th- I think that may- maybe a personnel change, I, I don't know. And, you know, but like, ultimately at the end of the day, maybe that's also a good thing. Cause you can just, you know, see it and then maybe more and Barton also, you know, when they play and maybe we're talking about after and we're like, yeah, you know what, Lesage and Hearn are probably, you know, the, uh, the best options at, at center and stuff, but it's like, I think they just haven't done enough for me to be like, we shouldn't be trying. Like, I want to see somebody else before I just give you this Jersey. Cause like, to me, you just, you haven't done enough to, to stay in it yet. Yeah. And I, I got two things about that too. You know, both Ben Lesage and uh, Nick Blevins were not playing professional rugby this, this winter and spring. You know, Lesage is, is a student, and uh, Nick Blevins lives in Calgary and is working there. You know, I, it's one thing to, you know, keep yourself in, in shape, but it's to get those reps in and consistently play against high-level competition. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's, there's a few times where they just didn't look as in step or in, in the same kind of groove as some of their counterparts that were playing pro rugby. And, you know, you can kind of see that in, in certain parts of the game with, uh, ben Lesage now again. He's L- it sounds like his schooling's all done up this year. So, you know, we might see him in the MLR. We might see him with the Toronto Arrows. He was linked to them last year before he said he's going back to school. Um, so that's why I like the idea of George Barton. I like the idea of Dan Morris, especially with Barton. You know, he consistently played center, and and, and he also uh, Dan Moore also played a lot of lot of center. Yeah, and I mean, even with that, like even uh, you know Giuseppe Detroit too. He's uh, you know he he had a really solid season with the Arrows at center, and, and you know he was left off the PNC squad. Um, so I mean, maybe you know maybe give him a shot too. Uh, like they said, like that's another guy that you know pl- playing professionally. I think uh, matters a little bit. Um, maybe maybe it matters a lot. Uh, but you know it's you, know, you have guys that are playing like dedicating like all their time is just rugby. Um, and, you know, you can see it. I think uh, I think if you look back at uh, the player that, you know, Dan Moore, George Barton, and, you know, Giuseppe Detroit were, you know, in January, and it's like, and then you look at them in June, and it's like they got a lot better, um, you know, as the season went on. Um, like, all, all three of them got, you know, you could see them, like, improving, like, week in and week out. Um, to the point where, you know, they are earning, you know, uh, like, look, you know, they, you know, they're all, they were all guys that, you, you know, or sorry, the Trois was at some PNC or uh, some ARC games, but, you know, more in Bar- are, are, was Barton, Barton was at the ARC? Okay, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, but like, <laughs> all these guys had, um, but I'm just trying to remember that roster. Um, but all of these guys, you know, got better as the season went on. And, you know, have earned, like, you know, have earned a look after the, um, you know, have earned a look after, like, at the team. And, you know, I just think, you know, uh, I haven't seen enough from the centers where, you know, we should be maybe not, you know, giving these guys a shot yet. 
Yeah. So I would personally, I would like to see him play. And I've got I've got one more hypothetical for you, and I know that you're not a fan of what I'm about to say, but I'm going to suggest it anyways. And we have one guy that has did not appear for Canada, and he is a winger, Taylor Paris. Mm-hmm. Did not play because of injury. Mm-hmm. The assumption is that he will be back playing soon. So my question is to you. You have two wingers that both played center professionally, Hassler and DTH, and both of them also played center for Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you're, that you're not a fan of moving uh, a, a person of strength in a position that they, they, they play their best in to address another weakness. Mm-hmm. But are we saying that we're, we're keeping Taylor Paris out of the lineup and then making the center position not have an impact player? Because uh, I'm saying you could, you could have Taylor Paris and Jeff Hassler DTH at 13 or DTH, Taylor Paris, Hassler. Because DTH and Paris played really well at the, the last Reposage game together. And then you can have Hassler at the 13 jersey I like that idea. I like that 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 is that is a possibility. Um, you know, we haven't seen any anything from Rugby Canada that suggests that that's that's an option because uh, you know they don't really tell tell a whole lot of whole everyone a whole lot about their plans. Which good on them. It's kind of smart. What do you think about my my crazy my crazy thought? I yeah, I too am disappointed that Rugby Canada, Kingsley Jones, just don't be like, this is our game plan entirely for the Rugby World Cup show up. You don't get like the, uh, just make a video with like, you know, like the Madden style, like playbook thing that you can just scroll through. Um, so yeah. one, one more thing, one more thing. If anyone hasn't seen it yet, uh, go watch England's roster announcement video. It is the most beautiful video about sports or one of the most beautiful sports videos you'll ever see. Anyways, continue. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Like I, I don't know. With, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of you know, like you said, I'm a big fan of just leaving. Play your best players where they are the best at. Um, but yeah, like you said though, we, we if if and when Paris comes back, you got three of your best players all play wing. Um, and unfortunately, there's only two winger spots on the field. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately, I think, like, but that's also kind of why, you know, I think some of those guys, like, that have been playing, that haven't played center yet, I think deserve a shot. Because, like you said, these guys haven't shown anything. Um, like I said, the centers right now haven't shown, you know, too much as far as like a mind-blowing reason why they should be in the lineup right um but if you can find a combination that works i'd rather leave them on the bench but i think ultimately like what you have to weigh is like what's the like you know is the bigger gap between dth and the next best winger or is the bigger gap between dth and the next best center and you know at that or you know or hassler and the next best winger hassler and the next best center uh paris same thing, um, you know. And if and if you really genuinely look at your team, and you know, and you kind of feel that, um, has you kind of feel that, you know, there's a bigger gap between DTH and the 
next best winger, then it might be something that you have to do. Um, but I still, if you have to do it, I guess you have to do it, but I still don't think it's an ideal thing to do. Um, you know, it seems, it seems like more of like something, like you said, it's almost like almost something that you would do, you know, if someone gets hurt, then yeah, we have to put DTH at center. Um, because, you know, we got to deal with these injuries that occur during the world cup. Um, but then, but I think too, like, that's why, um, you know, in a way too, though, that's why a guy like Dan Moore is valuable. Um, you know, cause that's a guy that can come off the bench and go, that's, and go to either position. That's what makes Patrick Parfrey super valuable too, is cause he can, you know, Patrick Parfrey, um, played amazing. I don't think he should be in the starting lineup though, but I really want him on the bench just cause that's just, all right, somebody got hurt. He can go wherever you want. Yeah, um, that's in, his best rugby is, is impacts up. Is that, you yeah. know, we, we haven't seen his, I, mean, I think we go back to his arrow year and, you know, his, some of his best games were off the bench, not as a starter. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Exactly. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about this game, because now that we're wrapping up the PNC, who, who gave you the most confidence out of all the fly halves that played? Because we had three different fly halves playing three different games in three different situations. Who, who, if you're Kingsley Jones, why don't you put your Kingsley Jones hat on, you're Welsh, you're angry, who do you pick? And we'll, we'll, even, say, we'll even say first game at the World Cup, who are you picking? You can change mine after, but who do you think? I think... Right now, I think I'm gonna go with Shane O'Leary um, in the ten jersey, and I, I wrote about it on Layman Sports um, within my game recap. There was one stat that to me really stuck out in this game, and it was that uh, so Tonga had five tries, Canada had four. That's not that big of a difference. Um, uh, obviously, that's not that that that's not a monumental difference in the game. That's a close game on the sounds of it. Um, but Tonka went four for five on their conversion kicks. Uh, McRory and Nelson. Uh, McRory went zero for three, and then Nelson went zero for one kicking conversions, um, which ultimately that leaves eight points on the board. So Tonga lost or Tonga beat Canada by ten. Which means if Nelson and McCrory can just combine for going 50%, like not even like a mind-blowing number, just 50%, at, when Canada had the ball at the end of the game, they have a chance to win the game. Yeah. It's a one-possession game. Um, obviously, um, if you're only losing by six, it, again, it comes on, again, the kicking to actually make that last conversion for the seven, uh, for the seven points needed to win, so they'd have to make another kick, but... You know, if like if you leave all those points on the board off the conversion kicks, it ultimately meant that you know as um, Nigel Owens was resetting some of the scrums in the final four minutes of the game, and the clock was kind of eating away, is it kind of took away Canada's chance to win that game um, because they were down by ten instead of being down by they were down by ten instead of being down by six or down by four. Or even just down by two, um, if like you know, if you go, if like 
Like that's the difference uh, in the game on the scoreboard. Anyways, it's just there's four conversion kicks that were completely missed. Um, if you hit all four of those, um, you're sitting there um, in like with the last. Oh, you're sitting there in like the last minute of the game. It's like all you need is a penalty, right? And then hopefully you could make that in order to win. Um, so uh, I'm not saying you know like obviously the Tongan guys as well. It's like they probably would prefer to go five for five, and the game is further out of reach i mean the argument goes both ways um but but you know i think going 0 for 4 um took canada out of the game more so than anything that tonga really did and you know we saw against fiji you know o'leary didn't get that many opportunities to kick um he did make his two penalties and then on um lloyd's try which lloyd scored on near the touchline um, he had that like little filthy, uh, filthy curve um, that looked like, you know, just that filthy curve that just completely almost looked like it defied the laws of physics to just sneak it on the inside of the right, post, right. Um, which, you know, you, you we're going to the World Cup. You got you got to be able to make those um, you, like it's, you know, the best the, the best teams in the world don't have. Um, goal kickers that miss very often um, and from what I've seen watching um, if we're talking about the best fly half option um, the best fly half option right now I think is O'Leary because he brings an element of the game just in his ability to be your place kicker um, to you know to kick a goal to kick the penalties kick conversions um, that he's been the most successful one at it um, through, you know, the early stages of here. And, you know, he was the leading scorer of the um, RFU championship um, yeah. because he's a really good kicker. And for that reason alone, I think he should be the fly half. Even if just, like, even if, you know, even if he maybe, uh, even if you maybe think, even if you think um, like McCrory, uh, Nelson, and O'Leary are like even, then, you know, the kicking is a tiebreaker um, for O'Leary to be the fly half. Even if you think if you think one, either Nelson or McCrory is a better option, the fact that O'Leary's kicking is that much better elevates him anyways to the point where, um, like, I don't know. I just, I think that, I think what I saw in the game was Canada really missed that element of their game. And, you know, they left a lot of points on the board in a game that they didn't get outplayed. Um, you know, they were in it for a lot of, they were in it for most of the game. Um, they maybe were outplayed at moments, but there was a lot of tongue and tries that were just off of mistakes um, yeah. that Canada made. Um, not even, you know, not to take anything away from Tonga, but there was a lot of tries that were just, you know, Canada made a mistake. Um, the first try of the second half um, that Tonga scored was, you know, they, the kickoff comes and nobody on Canada decides to catch it. Um, it was just, you know, we're going to let the ball bounce. And then Tonga was just like, thank you, and ran in for a try in under two minutes. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, exactly. Sam, bringing back dark memories now. Um, but ultimately, like, like, ultimately, Canada was in that game. And if, you know, a few more, if a few more of the conversion kicks go through, uh, you know, you might, like we might be, we might have been watching Canada going for a win in the final two minutes of that game. 
You know, we need to change the name of this podcast to the O'Leary Fan Club because we've just been kind of singing his praises, and I agree with you. I think that he is the best option, and we're going to move on because I think that we've we've talked the Pacific Nations Cup to a to, mm-hmm. to death, and uh, you know, not well, so not not yeah, Canada's also, best performance. to Japan for winning. Yeah. Yeah, congrats uh, to Japan for winning. Well done. Yeah, yeah it, it's Moving funny. up to top I, 10 in the world. Yeah, I tweeted, I tweeted about them. Sick. I think that they're going to be a team that I'm really going to enjoy to watch. You know, I remember when I first started getting to rugby, some of the games that was available to me were some of the Sunwolf games. I just yeah. kind of took took to them, and I see a lot of the players now uh, playing for Japan, and I think it'll be – they might be my team my – team, Team 1C after Canada and Ireland. It'll yeah. be Japan. I think uh, I think Japan's going to do some damage at the World Cup. I think they're, uh, they're little, uh, they are little beat the Springboks thing last uh, uh, in 2015, um, which is, you know, which was amazing. I think uh, they're, they're really looking forward to uh, completely building off that on their home turf. So, and I think a lot of people are giving them a, a, a tough go because of how poorly the Sunwolves did this year in, in Super Rugby. And, it, you know, I, I think that that's unfair because, again, not everyone is going to be going to Japan from that team. Sunwolves are also not Team Japan. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so we're going to move on now. We're going to move on to talk about uh, a little mini preview because next week we will do a, a little bit further in-depth into what we expect for that game because the roster's not out yet, so we don't know what we're going to be seeing on the pitch. Uh, but the first question I have for you, and is we, we've talked about about two guys already about, um, about the game against Leinster, but who do you want to see in a lineup that didn't play in the Pacific Nations? You know, we've talked about Dan Moore. We've talked about George Barton. Is there someone else that maybe you think deserves a shot that uh, maybe missed out, uh, especially maybe someone from Ontario that, you know, that might try to win their way on? Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I think Moore and Barton, I think I would still stay are my like two big guys to get into the lineup. I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of players I think had like, you know, a solid enough, um, PNC that they're probably, you know, a couple steps closer here to solidifying their spots. Um, but you know, anything like, yeah, the centers, the centers are like, I think, the one spot i think if you look at the pack i think you we all have a pretty good idea of who's going to be in the pack um and the and the pack is you know the pack's essentially going to be um you know the guys that you saw at the pnc um which you know unless somebody gets hurt maybe you'll bring in someone else um but i i I was happy with that i was happy with most of the way um, most of, but it's just most of the backs played and stuff. I think, I think I would like to, yeah. That's the, the centers. The centers is the position that I'm like. Uh, I would really like to see that. Also, man, if you want to, I would not be upset if you want to, you know, drop Persilier or uh, Nawadi um, into a game. Um, mm-hmm. If you, especially, hey, man, like we said, uh, centers did not impress us. Nawadi. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe why not? Um, Persilier. Why not? Like, yeah. why not? This, this, that, that is it. Like, I think, you know, we're literally at like, what's like, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? Um, you know, if you, if you play him and he stinks, well, then, 
you know, Hearn and Lesa- uh, Lesage are back in, um, you know, and, um, you know, Priscillier, again, is another one where it's like, um, you know, we've been kind of going back and forth here on, um, you know, who the scrum half's going to be. And again, that's maybe like, a, you know, I don't know if I want him to start or, or whatever. But again, like, I wouldn't be mad to see him there if you wanted to give him a shot. Um, I think I would honestly, I would like to see, uh, I'm not really sure why he was removed from the lineup. Um, but I would like to see more uh, Jamie McKenzie get another get another crack too. Um, you, you know, he obviously he wasn't left off the roster, but like you know, he didn't play that much during the PNC. Um, so like, I mean, I would like to see him get another crack. Um, but um, yeah, uh, how about you, man? Anybody that you want to uh, you want to see get in here? Yeah, and there there's there's two guys, and I w- I would pick either one. I haven't been really impressed with other, you know, we've got Evan Olmstead as one of the locks, you know, Connor Keyes didn't impress me a lot in his game. And, and I love Mike Shepard. And one of the things that I, I was thinking about when I, when I chose this person is I remember when uh, the Ontario arrows were doing their, their tour and their media tours. And Mike Shepard was the de facto captain before Rumball and, more came around and he really pitched hard for this this the program to run and I always appreciate that and he had such a strong game in MLR but it seems in this calendar year of 2019 when he throws on that red jersey he doesn't seem to have his best game unless he's coming off the bench mm-hmm. you know in the Fiji game he was a once he came on uh, for Blanchett he was a, a wrecking crew he needed he needed that two minutes on the bench he needed that two minutes on the bench and and like it. It just when he's starting, it just seems that like his hands are just covered in butter, like the, the ball handling errors that you didn't see with the arrows. Uh, and I, like I know that for a fact because I was spending most of this week watching arrows games, uh, just for the fun of it because I wanted to see if there was anyone there that I could see. And so one person that I did see in those games was I. I'm interested to see what Paul Cellini could do for this team. You know, he's a. Bigger guy, you know, having having him and Olmstead in in the you know engine room, that would be something that I would love to see. And you know, he he is a strong strong ball carrier. You know, he's still young; he's got lots to to learn in terms of the defensive side of the ball. But I like what he offers to the team. Um, the other guy that I want, uh, I think, deserves a shot, and he's someone we're going to talk about a little bit later. Just quickly, is I think Josh Larson deserves a shot. You know, he played very well for Austin uh, uh, last year down in Texas uh, on a team that really didn't have a whole lot going for them. It was him and his and his uh, and his brother that that helped try to keep things going. And I think that he impressed me uh, enough that I think he deserves a shot. And I was surprised when he was snubbed over Connor Keith. So he's one guy that I would like to see also get a shot as well, just for the fact that again. In that in that time that we've seen other other locks other than Olmstead, they haven't really impressed me a whole lot either. So, why not try some young blood to see maybe if that improves some of their their issues? Yeah, there's there's always. I mean, it's I think I think that's part of what these games are for too. Is trying to you know figure that out. Also, I mean, maybe the uh, like you know they got to play Leinster first, but. 
you know, maybe that game against the, the BC All-Stars is, you know, the game we target for, like, you know, maybe a little bit of experimentation, right? Like, you know, uh, try, you know, maybe that's the game to be like, all right, we're going to toss DTH or Hassler at center. Uh, maybe that's the game to be like, uh, you know, Tyler Ardron played a lot of lock for the Chiefs yeah. this year. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe that's the option. Maybe we see, uh, you know, maybe we see the back row of uh, Bailey, Rumble, and Campbell looks like with, uh, you know, Olmstead, Ardron uh, at four and five. Um, so, I mean, maybe, but, uh, but yeah, uh, there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, we'll just uh, see what Kingsley Jones ultimately ends up doing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, his is the, the only opinion that really matters. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of things that you can definitely do. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, you can experiment, see what happens. And we will see, we will see next week. Um, and the last question about the Leinster game, again, we're, we'll dive more into it next week, but, you know, Leinster is, is a very much an Irish club. They focus on strong ball carrying in waves and kicking for possession. So my question to you, you can change one thing for the positive. You have two options here. I know that this, this might be a tougher question. We talked about this before. Do you want them just to have a, a strong lineout, or, and they might go hand in hand, do you want their ball possession after multiple phases uh, from a set play, either scrum or a lineout, or just from a breakdown uh, to improve? Because I think that that's something that I've noticed has been a problem is, you know, they'll win a lineout, they'll win a scrum, they'll, they'll turn the ball over, but then after three or four phases, it's kind of stalls. So you can either improve the line out or you can improve ball possession and ball play after multiple phases. Which one do you choose? Yeah, I think I think like I said like earlier in earlier in the podcast here, I think the the line out actually, you know, hasn't been as bad. Um it's what happens after the line out and they're, you know, um like you said that that pivotal play I um I think was is the perfect example, right? It's like the line out the line out goes like the actual lineout, the throw, the you know the immediate like getting the ball out of the lineout actually goes really well. Um, you know, Piffro throws to Mac, Mac gets it back to Piffro. Piffro has a lot of space in front of him, um, but like you said, they can't do anything with it because they couldn't retain the ball. Um, so I think, I think like ultimately like in their overall game, I would like to see Canada hold on to the ball more. Um, I think there's been a lot of you know, especially in that USA game, it was like, I don't even, like, I can't even remember. I don't even know if I can count high enough to count how many box kicks Canada tried in that game. Um, but, you know, it's uh, there's there's a lot of plays, you know, even against the Fijians, um, they had a lot of plays where they, you know, they build up, like, you know, maybe four or five phases, and then they would box kick it away, and Fiji would run it 20 meters behind where they initially box kicked it from. Uh, and right. And it's like, I would just, uh, I, th I think ultimately like, that's the thing I would like to see most is just, you know, um, like you said, we, uh, if Taylor Paris comes back, um, for the game against Leinster, or even if it's Barton, Barton Moore, or even if it stays the exact same and we got like her and Lesage, um, Hassler, uh, DTH and, you know, McCrory or O'Leary or, 
at 10 or whoever that ends up or that ends up being next week. And then maybe like Nelson at 15. Um, like those guys, like at the end of the day, like those guys are all like really talented rugby players. And it's just like, give them the ball and like, let them, let them do something with the ball in their hands. And I think like, I think like that's ultimately why Canada looked so good in the last 19 minutes of this game against Tonga was, you know, it was the first time the entire tournament where the backs were getting the ball and they were getting the ball like with, with space to run. They were getting the ball at pace. Um, You know, they were getting, they were opening up holes for each other. Um, You know, they were creating turnovers. Uh, Like I said, like Pat Parfrey did the one great play Pat Parfrey had was when there was a turnover, he picked it up and ran. Right, he didn't pick it up and kick it back. He picked it up and ran. Um, so I think, yeah, like that's the one thing I would really like to see Canada continue to do more of. And I think there's one player that we're forgetting that that is notorious for ball possession and also creating plays that uh, are very effective. And uh, it's Theo Sauter. You know, yeah. Theo Sauter has been out since since. You know, when did he get hurt with the arrows? It was March? Uh, no, it was after they started their home games. It was like okay. late uh like late April, early May. Yeah, so he's been he's been out of the conversation for a period of time. Um and what I always liked about Theo Sauter is he's not afraid to drive the play. You know, you saw that when they lost at the ARC is Canada didn't have that option when Karen Hearn was at fifteen. You know, they didn't, you know, that, at the repishage, that was one of their strongest things. Is Sauter was a threat. He was a threat with the ball, and he was a threat to chase down a ball. Um, not the strongest defensively. So it'll be interesting to see if, if, if he's up to health, and I think that's, that's the big question mark, because now he's had two big injuries that's kept him out of playing in one year. Uh, whether or not he can make an impact at the 15 jersey, and, and that changes things around. Because I like the idea of O'Leary kind of being a steady presence at 10 with Sauter in the back kind of unleashing a little bit. So that, that might change the perspective of what this Canadian offense looks like when you've got another piece that is willing to kind of, kind of roam and, and, and be another nuisance. Because when I was re-watching some of the Arrows games is, the offense really did change when he came onto the pitch. You know, the way Gaston Merez and the way Theo Sauter play the 15 jersey is very different. So that is something that I think we, we need to watch as well as maybe we'll get an announcement that he's playing. Maybe we're going to get an announcement that he's going to be shut down for the World Cup. We really haven't heard. He's been out in the woods rehabbing, so we really don't know. Uh, but the next thing we're going to go through a couple of uh, rugby news tidbits, uh, and then and then we'll we'll finish up here. Uh, it's been pretty quiet actually uh, after kind of a mirage of MLR signings. You know, Toronto the, the Arrows had their 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 big block of signings, and Nola's been busy with all their signings. You know, signing Eric Howard and uh, Kyle Bailey. So. Since then, it's been pretty quiet. You know, the Seattle Seawolves that have some players has been quiet. Austin has a few Canadians on their team that's been pretty quiet on whether or not anything's happening there. Uh, But one piece, and I've mentioned his name already tonight, uh, Josh Larson is switching teams from Austin to Boston or New England. 
he is now signed with with the Free Jacks for the 2020 season. Uh, so this is kind of a, a, a New England bolstering their lineup with a capped player and also someone that has MLR experience. Do you think that he'll make a big difference for for New England, uh, Derek? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he was he was one of Austin's best players this year. Um, Austin is uh, looks like they're kind of having a little bit of an exodus to the expansion teams. Um, you know, they've had a, they've already lost a handful of guys. They lost a handful um, to uh, especially to New England. Um, so uh, it's uh, I think I think I think he's he's going to have a solid opportunity with the the Free Jacks. Um, you know, and be uh, like that's really all you can kind of ask for at this point. Um, I think a lot of those guys from Austin uh, just sort of want to move on from last year. Um, nobody, nobody wants to go winless in a season. Um, you know, it's one thing to kind of miss the playoffs. It's a, another thing entirely to not even be able to, you know, put a win up. Um, so I think, you know, so I, hopefully, um, you know, it'll end up being like a better situation for him. Uh, get, uh, you know, get some more playing time, get, you know, hopefully the, you know, New England looks like they are building a pretty solid team together. Um, they, you know, Todd Leader being the, uh, you know, the uh, fly half there, it looked um, like that's a, that's a huge signing already. Um, so I think, you know, like they're building a solid team and I think Larson has a really good shot to be a big part of um, the forward pack for them. So um, I think, yeah, I think it's a good opportunity for him. It'll be interesting to see. New England's definitely going to be my team not to cheer for because anything Boston is just horrible. No, yeah, no. I just, if, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I just, you know, I never, if if the arrows have a try that's like, or like a score that's like the equivalent of like four tries to one, I will be insanely nervous for no apparent reason. <laughs> the rest. If I see that 28 to seven lead, I will start freaking out. If you're if you're not a Leafs Leafs fan, you don't understand. Uh, if you are gonna... a Leafs fan, you just turned off our podcast for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the last uh, one of the other things we're going to talk about, and it's some big news in rugby, uh, but in rugby league, uh, the Toronto Wolfpack have uh, appointed a new interim CEO and chairman for the Wolfpack, uh, Robert or Bob Hunter. Um, this kind of happened after. Uh, they had their little issue with some uh, racist remarks with their former uh, CEO and owner. He stepped back from the CEO position. Um, and I really like this, this hiring um, for, for one reason. And this uh, uh, Bob Hunter has experience in Canada. He has been working in Canada for a very long time. Uh, it goes like in their press release. It talks about him working, you know, back in, in, Canada in the 86 working at the expo, um, you know, worked in Vancouver, helping build the BC play stadium. You know, he came to Toronto to, to uh, provide leadership for the sky dome. You know, he, he worked with MLSE, you know, helped saw the construction of BMO field, which if the numbers for Toronto, the Wolfpack keep rising, they're going to have to look somewhere new and maybe BMO's a home. If, uh, you know, TFC lets them. They're not very happy with other teams with cleats playing there. Uh, but, you know, this guy's got experience in Toronto. He's got experience with with big sports uh, conglomerates, especially MLSE. You know, if, if 
if you want something done in sports, MLSE in Toronto is a good place to start. Um, how do you feel about this, Derek? And how do you feel about this as, as a sign of faith to Toronto from the Wolfpack? Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, Bob Hunter, see, uh, that's a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty big hiring. Um, I think, you know, ultimately if you, the interesting thing that I feel is that if you look at his resume and I mean, you just kind of rifled it off there. So I don't really want to overly repeat it. Um, but if you really do look at that resume, it's, you know, he's had a lot to do with like the development of stadiums. Um, and you know, like that's basically what he's built, um, like his career on in the last uh, couple of decades. Um, so like, to me that that's kind of interesting because, you know, like I said, like he, uh, was part of the, uh, the process of like, you know, building BMO field, you know, uh, BC place out in Vancouver, um, you know, Rico call, uh, Coca-Cola Coliseum, I guess is what it's called now. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, I think, uh, CBC was saying like, he's worked for the, uh, like, you know, the Metro Toronto Convention Center, Ontario Place, a bunch of other those, like, major um, entertainment venues uh, within the city. And, you know, like, that's just, it almost seems like this is the kind of guy that you hire if you want to build a stadium, um, which uh, maybe I'm just reading way too much into this. Um, but, like, that's that's what his resume is. Um, it's I like it. I like that you're reading into this. This is I like this. And yeah. You know, but like that—that's what his resume is. His resume is develop stadium development, um, and then you know we saw, uh, you know we saw that the the uh, social media apparently the Wolfpack kind of renovated slash redid, you know a little bit of their dressing room at least as far as like painting and like adding a new floor or something like that. Um, but you know, so maybe you know maybe he's the guy that they're trying to bring in to maybe convince the city to do some upgrades to Lamport. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Or buy them out. You know, I don't know how how down the city is to that, that stadium. I know that, I know that a lot of rugby clubs in Toronto still use it. Mm -hmm. I don't see any problem with, with, if the Wolfpack owned it, still being able to lease out that, that, uh, that time to those teams. I think what it comes down to is sooner or later in order for the Wolfpack to, start making it more manageable for themselves is they need to own their own stadium or or at least not have the city in charge of it because the city isn't really running it as effectively as it could it's not so much of a business property for them you know like like the fact that it's not always as open as early as it could be you know or or the fact that they're that the the scoreboard took forever for them to replace you know, I think that if, if if it was the Wolfpack or if some other sport conglomerate owned that field, it could be a more effective tool for the sport. I, I think, though, that, you know, if you're the city of Toronto or if you're like, you know, we saw it with like, you know, we saw the whole like the mess with Calgary with them, like, you know, the taxpayers and everyone not really not wanting to pay for a new arena. Um and, you know, it's tough. I think if the Wolfpack really want that to happen, they have to become a, a team that's not just Toronto in name. Um, you know, their base of operations is still in England. Um, you know, that's where, like, they, you know, they hold their training camp there. That's where, you know, most of those guys, like, all the players live in England. They stay here and they're just in, like, temporary housing and stuff like that. Um, it's, 
you know, so it's like I think if you if you wanted to justify building, like completely building your own stadium, you got like you said, you got to use it, right? So it's like if the Wolfpack if the Wolfpack are going to build their own stadium, they don't come here till like April or May, anyways. Yeah, right. It's like they do training camp in England. Like they don't, you know. So um, I think to really justify that, it's like they got to uh, they have to work to becoming, you know become Toronto in more than just name, like move. If you want a stadium here, you might have to move your base of operations to Toronto, right? You might have to be like, look, guys, we're going to build the gym. We're going to have, you know, we'll do the stadium. We'll put the, the gym up or whatever. Um, but like, I mean, I don't know. Like you said, though, I think I'm probably just reading way too much into this, um, yeah. but that's what Bob Hunter's resume is. It's building the stadium. It's building stadiums. That's what the guy does. Um, so, uh, so I think for that reason, it's an interesting signing. But I think, I think based on what you've just said, um, they kind of t- they have to become more than Toronto and just name in order to really justify doing that. Um, but I think also, like you know, the Wolfpack have had a uh, have had a relatively difficult um, season off the pitch. I mean, on the pitch, they kill teams. Um, yeah. They're clearly the best team in the league. Um, and if they don't go to Super League next year. Um, that's going to suck and be severely disappointing. But as they showed last year and, you know, within uh, rugby league in general, it's the St. Helens Saints showed uh, last year too, just because you're the best team in the league doesn't mean you're going to win the last one. Um, uh, you know, you're not going to win that one that matters most. Um, so uh, it'd be interesting to see, but off the pitch though, like they've had a lot of issues. Obviously we, the reason Hunter's being hired is because, you know, David Argyle um, made a bunch of racist remarks to an opposing player, um, which is really not a not a good thing for anybody to do. No. Um, and it's not a good thing to do if you're the public face of a professional sports team. Um, he is still technically the owner. It's kind of weird. He stepped down from being CEO, but still owns the team. So it's yeah. like, did you really step down or did? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm not going to step away from my investment. But yeah, step away. but yeah, and I'm just gonna put a massive quote on the press release of hiring my replacement. Um, but you know, they had that. Um, they've had you know, Darcy Lussick, uh, for a period of time wasn't allowed in the UK because they were investigating his visa. Um, yeah. so the, the like he couldn't even go to the UK. Um, for a period of time, there apparently a handful of other players were also getting having their immigration papers and stuff being investigated um, in the UK. Um, one of the uh, Neil Davidson wrote the article for the CBC um, and now oh, talking about Hunter signing. And one of the big things that he just almost weirdly, it seems like he just casually dropped it into the article. Um, but it says the Wolfpack are facing a lawsuit filed in Alberta by iLink Media Group which handled the TV production in 2018. The company argues that the rugby league team defaulted on a payment for a significant portion of last year's season to the tune of just over $300,000. So, like, that's just... So, I mean... And then add on on the fact that they just canceled last week and I think this week's games to do... Yeah, they've just come out to say that... Yeah, like you said, they can't afford to broadcast the final games of the season, um, which 
I wonder if that has anything to do with the production company suing them for three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, they they robbed Peter to pay Paul. And now Paul's knocking on the door. So, I, and you yeah. know, I, I think you're right. I think that the Wolfpack have had a rough season, and part of it might have been they just tried to do too much too quickly. And now that the bills are coming, they're starting to come in, and it's looking bad on them. You know, from our perspective, folks, you know, we want the Wolfpack to succeed. You know, they were the first pro team to come to Canada. You know, rugby's rugby. Uh, it's just difficult when it's not true Canadian rugby because they're still so far away. I know when they were first interviewed about it, and I remember this distinctively in, in their after the first season, they said that due to cost constraints of so much of the business dealings being done in the UK, they weren't going to move to Toronto yet. But I believe their plan was a five-year plan, and then, then they would transfer everything to Toronto. So whether or not that's still on pace, that means in two years they should have an office opened up in Toronto. That remains to be seen. Uh, we just want transparency. I think it, it, from from if if I speak for both of us, because that's hasn't been what we're been getting. And you know, there's there's a lot of league fans over in the UK that are quickly want to just shut down the Wolfpack. And there's a few people out there on the other side that that will defend the Wolfpack on no matter what they do. And you know you gotta you gotta be able to look at both sides of the coin. Uh, but the last thing we're gonna talk about we're gonna shift to a different style of rugby, and that's the the Sevens Tour announcement that happened um, uh, last week. So two things that that were significant to at least this podcast is. One of the spots in uh, got moved um, to LA instead of Las Vegas. Um, Las Vegas has had a tur, tur, you know, very turmoil-based history with the Sevens Tour, um, so they decided to pull it. And and when no one thought that they were even going to get another American to site, uh, they did announce that it'll be in Los Angeles. So that's that's quite an exciting uh, announcement. And also they announced that that there's some more women's uh, sp- uh, spots that were opening up, uh, which is also exciting because, frankly, these women are extremely talented and, you know, parity in rugby sevens is just growing as it's an Olympic sport. And uh, it is quite an exciting... This is, you know, this is going to be the season leading up to uh, to the Olympics. And with us being Canadian fans, it's kind of a breath of relief that we don't have to worry about qualifiers or... You know, we've got the men and the women already qualified. Um, Derek, my question to you is, where do you see this Sevens series going? Um, do you see it lasting as long as it's an Olympic sport? Do you see it kind of transitioning to more of like a uh, town-based structure where, you know, there's a, there's a Toronto team, there's a Boston team, and then uh, they do tours because there, there are certain leagues like, uh, a lot of esports do that, where there's teams based on cities, but the tours are all over the world. What do you want to see out of this sevens tour, especially now with the women's side expanding? I mean, like, I I, I like where it's at. I like the you know, it's uh, it's it's a cool, it, it's one of the cooler things that's on World Rugby's calendar. It's you know, it's it's cool to have all the uh, you know all the countries and stuff represented, um, and it's. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, if like it's just it's kind of it's like it's just nice to see them 
um, kind of uh, going like everybody, you know, every week or whatever, it's a different city. It's more like, you know, the structure of it's more like F1 or something where it's just like everybody travels and, you know, you still get all the different teams that, you know, compete and um, every location kind of has its own little like perks and, you know, course and stuff that makes it a little bit different. All the fan bases, um, when you travel around, bring a little, you know, creativity and everything to the uh, to the event as well. Um, so, yeah, like I like where it's at. I think as an Olympic, your question about being like as an Olympic sport, I, uh, it's going to be around for a long time as an Olympic sport. Um, both uh, the men's, it's like it's set up. It's such rugby sevens as a game and the way they do the tournaments is like set up absolutely perfectly for something like the Olympics. You can bang out the whole tournament in two or three days. Um, if you're, you know, you can literally, like, it's something you can sell tickets to. Fans can walk in the door at like 11 and not leave until like eight or nine at night. Um, it's, you know, the, it blends itself to like binge watching and things like that. You build up, you can build up the whole event, quarterfinals, semifinals, final. Um, you, we already had like an awesome moment from the last Olympics where, you know, Fiji won the first ever gold medal for their country. Um, you know, then like those guys are uh, absolute gods in their country now, um, which is, you know, a really cool thing that the Olympics can do. Um, plus, you know, it's, the, you know, the Olympics does have an effect. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, Canada and hopefully Canada and the United States as well, um, you know, as uh, both do well at the at, in Tokyo. And, you know, that could just help, you know, grow the game over here. Um, the, the best way, honestly, the best way to grow the game of rugby um, in North America is to have the, uh, the Eagles in Canada do well. And, you know, whether that's going to be, you know, this, this September and October here um, with the World Cup, you know, if they uh, can both put in some, like, solid performances, um, it's going to elevate the platform of the game um, within uh, both our countries. And, you know, the, uh, the Olympics is the most popular, most famous sporting event in the world. Um, to have um, rugby as a part of that is, is like, is amazing. Um, so hopefully it stays. And, you know, there's the other things that come with it as part of being an Olympic sport. Um, the Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games is going to come out next year um, for Tokyo. And they're going to have rugby as one of the events that you can play in that game. Um which is amazing because there's probably a lot more kids that play Super Mario games um, than people that play rugby in the world. Um, so yeah. you know you get to you get to expose like just a massive fan base. You can have people that just you know are just big like Mario or Sonic <laughs> fans. Um, they're just big Mario or Sonic fans who just buy the game because it's a Mario game and then be like rugby's and then be exposed to rugby just through that. Um, so being part of the Olympics opens up you know opens up other channels and stuff to actually grow the game. Like, you know, when was the last time we had like an actual good rugby video game? Like it's rugby 08. <laughs> it's been, well, there's you a new know, one coming out. Rugby it's been 11 years. Yeah, Sorry? Rugby, rugby 19, I think is coming out or it'll be rugby 2020. Yeah. There's a new one coming out for the PS4. I know that much. All right. Well, I'm still going to stand by my statement that the last time we had a good one was rugby 08 because we, I haven't played this one yet. So I'll hold off on calling it good. Um, but yeah, but like you know, it's, but even at that, even if, if it is coming out, it's been, uh, you know, it's it's been 11, 12 years, whenever that release date for that game is. So it's 
it's been over a decade since a rugby video game was like released um and you know it'll be uh like it's one of those things where it's like you know even if it's mario and sonic it's like yeah it's a rugby in a video game um it exposes a lot more people to it yeah well you know you never think that that'd be how we end our podcast off talking about mario and uh sonic and and video games but that's where rugby takes you sometimes you know maybe next week we'll finish off with duns and dragons you never know uh, uh, we should. But that's what we should do. We should give. Uh, we, we should, should assign D and D characters for all the arrows players. Oh, I, now that's what I'm gonna spend my entire week doing. Like, there's there's yeah, no exactly. way around we it now. To, we need to. Yeah, we need to sit down and create the ideal like D and D starting fifteen. It's like, what would you want? Get like you know a dwarf barbarian at prop. Um, you know, we can we can figure out. Get like a dark elf rogue at like fullback or something. I so, like where this is going. Yeah. I like where this is going. But, uh, you know, next week we will be diving into the Leinster game. Uh, Derek and I both will be at the game, so uh, we're looking forward to seeing that. Uh, we will be looking at Leinster's lineup. If, if it comes out quick enough, we will try to look at Canada's lineup again if it comes out quick enough. If not, we'll talk about D&D next week. Uh, if, if you guys want to contact us or if you want to look at our podcast uh, on Twitter, it's at Rugby. Uh, we have a link on our profile to our past podcasts. You know, we just had one a few weeks ago with Aaron Castro to talk about uh, rugby in North America. You know, we've been talking about the PNC. We talked about the ARC. We've talked about the Arrows. So lots of content to reach out. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and uh, enjoy this episode. <laughs>